0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Matt Merker to the podcast. Matt currently serves as the director of creative resources and training for Getty Music. Previously, he served on the pastoral staff and as an elder of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Recently, Matt published his book, Corporate Worship, as a part of the Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches series through Crossway Publishers. Matt, welcome to Preaching and Preachers.
1: Thanks, Dr. Allen. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, look, I've been looking forward to this conversation here for a number of days, and I was pleased to see your little book. And and again, what a helpful series this is that Nine Marks has in partnership with Crossway, uh, the, the Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches series. And so I want to commend the series more broadly to our listeners but uh, specifically your book, Corporate Worship, How the Church Gathers as God's People. And uh, we will have a a good conversation here, I trust, and I hope it'll be helpful to our listeners. But before we get to that, Matt, give us a little bit of a word of update on you and your family and uh, what the Lord is doing currently in your ministry.
1: Yeah, thanks. Lots going on. Uh, My family is doing well. We live here in Nashville, Tennessee. where members at Edgefield Church. Uh, A church that recently merged, two congregations came together, was Trinity Church of Nashville and Edgefield Baptist Church, a historic church in East Nashville, have now become one congregation. It's a wonderful story of God's grace. Uh, The church is growing. uh, The gospel is being preached. It's super encouraging. Uh, But that's that's the congregation where I'm a member. But uh, Monday to Friday, I am serving Keith and Kristen Getty and our organization and lots of really fun, exciting stuff that's happening. We are getting ready for our SING conference. So SING 2021 is happening in Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena. The theme is In Christ Alone, Reset, Restore, Reunite. So looking at the centrality of Christ in corporate worship. And the other big thing I'm working on is something we've got going called the Hymn Writing Collective, where I am meeting with over a hundred different hymn writers and analyzing their songs and giving them feedback, people from all over the world. Dr. Allen, I just heard the most beautiful Indonesian hymn uh, from a woman who's writing songs in her heart language for her local culture uh, that doesn't have a lot of rich Christ-centered hymns. So it's just really encouraging and exciting to be a part of all that.
0: Yeah. Well, praise God for that. The Sing Conference, has that been around for what, maybe five years now or more?
1: That's right. This is year five. You got it exactly. It started in 2017. And so, uh, yeah, it's just Keith and Kristen's vision of trying to equip pastors, musicians, local church song leaders, choir directors, families uh, to sing our faith, to, to sing the rich truths of the gospel in all of life. And uh, so it's been really fun to be a part of that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you that conference kind of came out of nowhere and it's become a, I know a major gathering annually. And uh, so many of us have appreciated the Gettys and Leading us, frankly, to uh, to rediscover the joy of hymns and even their own efforts in contemporary hymn writing, and so thank you for your your work with them, as well. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, let's talk about the book and uh, the topic behind the book, and that is the pastor and corporate worship. And look, uh, you know, books don't come out of nowhere. Uh, usually, there's there's a concern, an interest, uh, some motivation that prompts an author to write a book. And so, I'm curious, what was your motivation?
1: Yeah, my burden as I look out at churches that I visit and that I hear about and I, I hear what happens on Sunday mornings is I think as evangelicals, we love the idea of individual worship as we should. All of us are called to give our whole lives as a living sacrifice to God in view of his mercies. That's what Paul says in Romans twelve one. But I think sometimes uh, believers, when we approach the Lord's Day gathering on Sunday— we treat that as a kind of souped up individual worship on steroids. You know, we're all going to get together, but I'm going to offer God worship through this personal portal of praise. And it's going to be amped up because there's this wonderful music being played that I'm singing along to. And there's this wonderful talk or message being given that's inspiring me and instructing me in my faith. And we sometimes lose or forget the corporate dimension but, Because we're part of God's people, because we're part of God's family, we gather as a family to edify one another. And what God does when he brings us all together is not just a number of individual Christians, 80 or 200 in a room, praising him. There's something special and distinct about that corporate moment. So I guess I'm trying to put the congregational back into this idea of congregational worship and help us, again, treasure the distinct uniqueness of what it means to gather as a church.
0: So c- clearly that that's what inspired you or motivated you. And uh, I, mean, I love even sensing the passion from your heart about these matters as you talk. I'm curious, as you survey the, the evangelical landscape more broadly, uh, were there concerns out there you're seeing or, or, or needs out there you're seeing you feel like you needed to address?
1: Yeah, I, I think— um, so many times when we come to conversations or debates about the corporate worship gathering, I think it tends to center a lot on things that are important but not most important. So things like the style of the music—that's not unimportant, you know. Uh, I do think that you know we have a lot of freedom in the style of music that we use or the instruments that we use. I, th- I think there's some styles or uh, methods of instrumentation that are probably slightly more conducive to congregational singing than others. Uh, but I think we've elevated that, at least in past decades, to, to this huge debate. Um, and actually, uh, there, are, there are more important things uh, at stake. And when we start with what a local church is, uh, then a lot of those things fall into place. Uh, so th- this idea of going to church mainly to kind of be inspired or to have my spiritual uh, tank filled up. Well, the thing is, there's an element of truth in that. I think we 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 do go to church because God fills us and He meets us and He nourishes us and He encourages us. But if we understand that He's also bringing me to church to nourish and feed and serve and equip other hungry pilgrims along the way, that ah, it's not just about me, uh, that can help us fight against some of the kind of consumerism and individualism that we sometimes see uh, when, when approaching the subject.
0: And of course, very often when we use the word worship and we hear it thrown about in local churches, people are just reducing that word uh, to one of music, and often it's one of, uh, of stylistic considerations or stylistic preferences. And uh, of course, we understand, and your, your book makes clear, worship is much, much more than that. Now, and I want to uh, want to tee you up here to say a word or two about about the who of worship, because so very often, again, we we think about the what of worship, what are its components? And yeah. We'll touch on some of that today, but it's important to remember who worship is for, uh, who can worship. Unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, well, worship is for God, and it originates in God. The the Triune God enables our worship; He equips our worship. Everyone is a worshipper. God has made us in His image. And so being a worshiper, someone made and created to reflect his glory, that's part of what we are. Uh, The problem is that lost people worship the wrong things. We're we're all idolaters in various ways, unless God reaches into our hearts and and replaces that heart of stone with the heart of flesh and turns us into a a worshiper of the true King himself. Uh, And so uh, worship is only possible because God redeems us in Christ. He regenerates us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in that sense, worship starts with God, and God continues to enable our worship each week. We, we gather because he, he brings us together by his grace. He gives us the words to read in Scripture, and he gives us the message to preach. And, and when we sing songs, we're say, we should be singing his truths, letting the word of Christ dwell on us richly, Colossians 3. Uh, so in that sense, I always want to emphasize that worship starts with God. It's revelation from God. It is grace from God to us but it is also response. It is also us as his people offering up our lives to him. And particularly when the church meets, it's the local church assembly. It is uh, this group of Christians who have covenanted together in time and place, uh, particularly to be a people together uh, to celebrate baptism and the Lord's supper together and to, to offer praise to God as an outpost of his kingdom. Um, so one of the crazy things about writing this book was I wrote it and turned in the manuscript. and then pretty much the very next week, the pandemic hit. <laughs> so it's been this amazing reminder uh, that worship is an integral part, corporate worship is an integral part of who we are and what we're called to do as a church. And I think the fact that we've been missing that has uh, hopefully helped a lot of believers realize how central it really is.
0: yeah, you you got ahead of me a little bit to my next question. I was going to point out. You know, the past year we've been in this pandemic, uh, many churches went weeks or even months without meeting. Uh, other churches um, were able to meet sooner, but but still they've had this high degree of disruption over the past year. And I think through all of this is, hopefully God's people have been awakened to, uh, to what we're missing and a desire to be together. And the premium we should place on actually gathering as the people of God. Yes. Now, I know this is anecdotal and this is limited, but but to the uh, pastors who I talk to regularly, and I've been talking to really dozens throughout COVID, uh, many of them are reporting that as their churches have regathered, the people have come together, frankly, in greater number, uh, greater fervency, mm. a greater sense of commitment and devotion, and almost as though having that opportunity to gather and worship together taken away for a season. Uh, perhaps it, it heightened their desire to actually be together after all. I'm curious what you're seeing, if anything, on that front, and how perhaps we should even think of, of this uh, reality of the past year in light of, of your book and its encouragements.
1: Oh, great question. Uh, I'm so thankful for that report. Praise God. And I, I'm hearing much of the same. Uh, so like you, I'm talking to pastors often. I'm talking to people who lead worship through song often. And what I hear from them is their churches are hungry to gather again, to to be able to take the masks off, uh, whenever, you know, that's safe for that church to do. And, and each church gets to decide, uh, but to take the masks off and and sing without restraint, to be able to stand next to each other without social distancing. You know, the Bible says, greet one another with a Holy kiss. Now, of course we need to uh, uh, apply that in a culturally appropriate way, but there is a physicality that, that, Is real when we gather, but we're supposed to take the bread and the cup. These these are physical tokens that that Christ has given us. Uh, And it's the same thing about being together in the same place. So, yes, I I would echo what you've been hearing. Certainly, you know, when I read articles, when I have certain conversations, there's a concern that some people have gotten too comfortable in watching church screening from home. Uh, You know, I think that's a legitimate concern. I think we need to teach people. That if you're part of the body, if you're part of the family, then you come to the family meal, which is the corporate gathering. Uh, so I think we we who have responsibility in churches need to clearly communicate and teach that. Um, but what I am seeing is not people saying, oh, I think I'm just going to stay home and, and keep on uh, doing church in my pajamas, but people who are hungry to come back. And I, I think if people are truly born again uh, and if they're well taught, th- that's what we should expect you know, God has made us for this, so there should be a hunger and desire for it.
0: So when we talk about worship, we need to talk about the order of worship, uh, what one does yeah. when God's people gather, uh, what that should look like, even, even sequence of things, and uh, the different ingredients of it. So I know you touch on this in your book, so uh, help us to think through this in the course of this conversation.
1: Yeah, I, I think what's so freeing is the idea that God calls the shots. I, I say corporate worship is much more like Shakespearean drama than improv comedy. You know, uh, there's some churches, and I, I served at a church, a wonderful church, that where I grew a lot. I was on staff there for a couple of years, a long time ago. And uh, each Tuesday, we would ha- sit down at a blank whiteboard and try to think of something new or creative to do uh, on Sunday. And it was motivated by, by good impulses. We wanted to reach the lost. We wanted to keep things fresh so that people would stay engaged so that there were good desires there. But, you know, in improv comedy, you don't have a script. The thing only works if the actors can come up with something funny to to say. Whereas in Shakespearean drama, of course the actors need to faithfully interpret and apply the script they've been given. But the basic storyline has already been written. It's been given to you by the great master, Shakespeare himself. And corporate worship is more like that. God has given us the main strokes in his word of what he calls us to do. He calls us to preach. He calls us to read the word publicly, 1 Timothy 4. He calls us to sing the word, to pray uh, all sorts of prayers, 1 Timothy 2, based on the priorities of his word. And he's called us to celebrate the Lord's Supper and baptism. And the Reformers pointed out that in doing these things, we see the word of God as it is depicted and and summarized. And so read the word, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, see the word. These are the main things God calls us to do. And that's freeing. We don't have to come up with how we are to engage with Him or honor Him. where to follow the template that He sent. And there's there's flexibility. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what key to sing in. The Bible doesn't tell us how long our sermons should be. Uh, there's lots of flexibility in the forms of those things. And then, yeah, when it comes to order, I think the order of service is very important. I think what we're doing at each moment of the service, what we're saying— is more important than the order we do and say it in. But I do say in the book, I think order of service or liturgy shapes us. It sets certain habits and patterns and expectations in our hearts. And so I think we can look at biblical patterns of how God engages with his people, particularly at the the sort of covenant renewal ceremonies of the Old Testament. We can look at history for good examples there. Uh, But there's no sort of chapter and verse in the bible that says well first you should do the announcements and then you should have a call to worship and then you should have a prayer of praise uh, you know i think there's wisdom there but there's there's no law that we are required to follow in terms of how we order together
0: right and let's just pause here and say beyond the uh, the biblical prescription of these four elements what you know commonly is referred to as the regulative principle let's uh let's also just acknowledge pastorally practically speaking uh, it is liberating It is liberating for your folks to be aware of what you do in the service and why you do it, and what you don't do and why you do it. Because you don't have to be in pastoral ministry very long to begin to field requests, um, promotional (laughs) requests, announcement requests, event requests, all sorts of things people will want to incorporate into the life of the service. And uh, if you don't have a good answer for why you are doing or not doing certain things in the Lord of Service, you're going to find yourself being perceived as just picking favorites. Yeah. But if you can point to a biblical theological basis for what you include or don't include in the Lord of Service, well, then at least it depersonalizes it. Uh, People might still be disappointed you're not uh, seeing it their way, but at least you're pointing to something that's fixed and that's that's not personal, and that's something that historically has been uh, consistently exercised. Um, you know, on the backside of the Reformation, so appreciate you uh, you touching on that. I, I guess you know to to get to personalize this a bit to the pastor himself or, or the or the senior pastor or the preaching pastor, the one who in the context of worship is clearly giving leadership to it to the service. Um, give us a sense of the role the pastor should play in this regard.
1: Yeah, great question, and uh, I want to really encourage pastors and excite you with the opportunity that you have it, it shouldn't feel like an extra burden uh this should feel what a wonderful and and holy stewardship to have oversight of of the gathering now you know scripture tells us that the elders are those who are able to teach first timothy 3 and everything that happens on sunday morning has a teaching function whether that's the songs we sing Uh, the prayers that are prayed, that doesn't mean I think that the elders have to do each of those things uh, or that the elders need to all as a group pick the songs. But I do think that means in some form or fashion, there needs to be pastoral oversight of, for example, which songs are chosen or are at least on the master list of the church, what scripture is going to be read, what prayers are going to be prayed, and, and who's going to lead them. So I would just say to the pastor you have a wonderful opportunity. If you haven't been paying attention to some of those details, um, I would encourage you to take the reins on the whole service. You can still collaborate with your team. You can still bring in others uh, to help. It doesn't need to be a dictatorship, but when the whole service is telling one story, and I do think the sermon is the centerpiece. So the preaching of God's word, whatever passage you're preaching on, is there a main theme or a main message of that text? then that should be infused through the songs and the prayers. That can even shape the order, perhaps when you celebrate the Lord's Supper or when you pray or when when you read this particular scripture, uh, you can craft the whole storyline and narrative arc of the service in what you select. That's the first thing. And then what I would just say is the second thing is, by your example, 1 Peter 5, pastors are called to be an example to the flock. By your example, you can help get people excited about every aspect. Uh, so I would just urge pastors, you know, don't be looking over your sermon notes during the singing. Mm. Uh, be singing. Be, be up front singing as loud as you can. If you don't have a, a great voice, take comfort from the fact that Scripture says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right. you know? Sing and show people. This is a church where we sing. This is a church where men sing. I think it's particularly important to set an example for the men in your church that, hey— Godly men love to sing to the Lord. David did. We see it in the Psalms. We see that Jesus sang the Psalms. We we, we should be setting these examples for our people. So if we're excited about the prayers, if we're eager to, to participate in all these ways, that goes such a long way in making the whole worship gathering feel important and special to your people.
0: So let me try to pull this together with a couple of final questions for you, Matt. And uh, the first is COVID-related. Again, you've had a year of dispersion, a year of spaced seating, a year of face masks for most every congregation. And as pastors are trying to bring their people back together and regather them and reconvene, uh, what would you say to them, to pastors, about the most helpful and compelling ways to speak to their congregations about the importance of regathering? the importance of prioritizing the public coming together of God's people for worship, uh, the importance of of, of of intentionally drawing your people back to those appointed hours of worship?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is a huge text here. Uh, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. I would, uh, and I'm sure all the brothers listening to this, brother pastors know this, but just to, as, as a way of encouragement and reminder, tell your people they have a job to do. You're coming to church because God has work for you to do, and it it's glorious work. There are people who need encouragement. There are people who need prayer. There are people who simply need the comfort that comes from hearing others around them sing, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Uh, they, they're they going to get more out of that song as we sing It Is Well mm. With My Soul if they hear your voice reverberating through the room. If you don't turn up and sing, then that person's not going to get the same level of sort of surround sound congregational support and encouragement. Other people will need a hug. Other people will need a word of admonishment. Other uh, visitors may be there who don't know the Lord. And over coffee, you're going to get to share Christ with them. So come because God has work for you to do. And then secondly, just keep reminding people to come because God's going to do work in you. Uh, I, I think we, are, we may only just be discovering now um, how much our people are dealing with in terms of depression, loneliness, uh, secret sin, isolation uh, after this difficult year. Uh, and I think we need to encourage people to come to receive medicine for your soul, sit under the preaching of the word, take the Lord's supper, it's good for you, it's good for your soul, come, come and be in community, and what a joy it is that we get to gather again together.
0: Well, Matt, we'll just have to leave it there. What a compelling conversation today. For our listeners, I hope you've been encouraged by the Lord's work, I hope you've been reminded of the centrality of the gathering of God's people and uh, the priority of corporate worship in the life of the church. Matt, thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Allen. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.